Ecclesiastes 9.13. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in, high many, in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves." He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof seeks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter." Good morning. How's everybody today? Ready for spring break? Yes? No? I thought there'd be more passion around that response. All right. So today we're in a long passage of scripture, Ecclesiastes 9, starting in verse 13. We're going to go all the way through the end of chapter 10 through verse 20. And we're going to continue with next week being the last week of our time together in Ecclesiastes. And we've been exploring together what it means to live a meaningful life from the book of Ecclesiastes. And I know from talking with many of you that our time in Ecclesiastes together as a church, it's been so good and so life-giving as we've wrestled with the hard realities that Ecclesiastes brings up for us. Ecclesiastes, how I've been thinking about it, it's like a hammer, right? I and each of us have these little things we build our life on, and then Ecclesiastes shatters those things into a thousand pieces in front of us, those things that we think are going to bring us purpose or meaning or satisfaction. Ecclesiastes is just showing us they're like a breath, right? There's nothing substantial to them. They pass. They're here today and gone tomorrow. 
So the truth of Ecclesiastes has been like a smelling salt to our souls, and I pray that's what's going to happen today too. So I'm saying that to kind of let you know it might not be easy, but it's going to be good, okay? So at Gresham Bible Church, we always want God's Word to set the agenda for us. For those of you that are newer to GBC, just wanted to enter our text today with this, we let God's Word set the agenda for us. And as we work through books of the Bible together, that shapes us, right? That forms us. We let God's Word set the agenda, and that's a good thing for us as a church. And well, guess what? Our text today is going to bring us to just what you wanted to hear and talk about today, politics. So, yep, we're going to go there because Ecclesiastes brings us there, okay? So I just wanted to get that right out front. That The teacher of Ecclesiastes, the preacher, he's going to bring us through and teach us about wisdom, about folly, and about rulers, kings, the land, basically politics. So let me pray for us before we dive in. Father God, we need you today. I need you We all need you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we will hear from you today through your word. We need that more than anything. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to treasure wonderful things from your word today. Father, please, through the preaching of your word, may you comfort and strengthen where needed. May you bring conviction where needed. And may your name be glorified in all of it. Lift our eyes from ourselves to you. Open your word to us today, and open us to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so make sure you have your Bible in front of you, Ecclesiastes 9, verse 13. We're just kind of going to get a real brief overlook of the hike we're going to go on today, a look of the land, real quick, Ecclesiastes 9, 13 through 10, 20. The teacher is going to highlight two things for us. First, we're going to see wisdom under the sun, and then we're going to see evil under the sun. And then after each of those uh, teachings from the teacher, right, of Ecclesiastes, he's going to give us some proverbs to talk about, here's what that looks like under the sun. We're going to see that we need wisdom to navigate our day-to-day life, and that this is especially true in the area of rulers, of cities, of lands, of politics. The scope of our text today, I just want to ground us in this before we dive in, the scope is really sweeping when you look at it. The word king, ruler, city, land is everywhere over our text. The word wisdom or wise is not 11 times in our text. And then on the other side of the coin, folly, fool, foolishness is nine times in our text today. So that kind of grounds us in the direction and an overlay of the land we're going to explore together. And then what's interesting, just like we've seen at different times in Ecclesiastes, the teacher of Ecclesiastes The word God isn't used one time in our text today. So he's taking us on this journey under the sun, right? Just our day-to-day life under the sun. So put your finger on the page or the screen in front of you, Ecclesiastes 9, starting in verse 13. So again, here's where we're going today, three parts. First is wisdom under the sun. That's from verse 13 in chapter 9 through verse 4 of chapter 10. Then evil under the sun. That's in verse 5 in chapter 10 through verse 20. And then the last thing we're going to look at together today is the fullness of wisdom. So first, wisdom under the sun, beginning in verse 13. The teacher, he starts here to tell us a story, okay? He 
explaining an example to us of wisdom under the sun. In verse 14, he tees it up. Look at verse 14. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. So notice the contrast just in that little verse in verse 14. A little city with how many men in it? Not very many, a few. And then a great king who built great siege works comes against this little city, right? So are we catching kind of the visual of this, of the scene? So when you hear siege works, think of these really big, like giant assault towers, like maybe on Lord of the Rings or something, right? That comes up against the walls of this city so the troops can look down into the city and fire their old school missiles against these people, against the few men in this small city. So this little city it wouldn't have a chance in this story that the teacher of Ecclesiastes is painting for us here. But then look right at verse 15. The story turns. So in steps this poor wise man who saves the city by his wisdom. Against all odds, wisdom wins the day. We're not told how this poor old wise man saves the city, only that bottom line, the city is saved by wisdom. So this brings us back, remember in chapter 7 that Jordan preached for us a few weeks ago, where the teacher of Ecclesiastes said this, wisdom gives strength to the wise, to the wise man, more than 10 rulers who are in a city. So we see this in this example here in the story. But then as Ecclesiastes so often does, it just gets out a big glass of cold water of reality and just dumps it on us, right? So here's this poor old wise man. Oh, wow, he saves the city against all odds. He's our hero. What happens to him? What's it say? No one remembers him. So this amazing story, this poor wise man saves the city against all odds. Nobody even remembers him. Because in reality, as we've seen all along in Ecclesiastes, the wise and the righteous are not always remembered under the sun. No matter how wise, no matter how heroic, because life is a breath, they're not remembered. This is so encouraging. And then in verse 16, the teacher highlights a lesson from the story, though. So he says that wisdom is better than might, even if this wisdom isn't heard, and even if it's not remembered. So then why is this? So keep reading the story here. Verse 18, we're told wisdom is better than weapons of war, right? So picture this, the poor wise man is better than these big assault towers. Wisdom is better than the weapons of war. So really what we're seeing here is wisdom is better than power. It's the journey the teacher of Ecclesiastes is taking us on here. Wisdom's better than power. How's that sit with you right here, right now in 2021, right? I almost said 2020, 2021. Doesn't the culture all around us believe the opposite? If we're being really honest in our post-truth and post-Christian culture, especially around Portland, Oregon, right? It's become all about power. Because if there's no such thing as truth, the only lever you can pull right now is power. So it's not whether something is good or beautiful or true, it's only about power. So power is sought after and power is worshipped. Under a post-truth sun, we have a lot to learn here from the teacher of Ecclesiastes. 
he's clearly and compellingly telling us that wisdom's better than power, though, even if it's forgotten. So no matter what the current culture praises, we always want to sit under God's word, right? It's telling us wisdom is better than power. There's more than just power to go after. But, so we're hearing this, wisdom is, is good, it's better than power, but it's forgotten. What does this mean? But then look at the ver- end of verse 18. It tells us that one sinner destroys much good. In other words, wisdom's better than power, but wisdom is vulnerable. The teacher then summarizes his point, right? We're seeing wisdom under the sun here in this first section. He summarizes his point about wisdom under the sun with these proverbs, and they kind of sound disconnected or, wow, what is this? Are these little sayings in a fortune cookie? But let's see what the teacher's telling us here in Ecclesiastes. He says that even a few small dead flies in that culture, right, ruin this huge vat of really good smelling perfume. So someone or some group of people worked really hard for a long time to make this beautiful vat of perfume, and it's ruined by these few small dead flies. It takes a lot less to ruin something than to create something, right? So the teacher of Ecclesiastes is showing us, he's bringing us into this journey here that wisdom is vulnerable. So to boil it all down in our first section, we're being told that a little folly outweighs wisdom. And again, remember, this is under the sun. A little folly outweighs wisdom under the sun. Especially, remember the story he just told us, especially in the area of cities and rulers and lands, again, what we would kind of think of as politics. A little folly can ruin the strength of wisdom. So if wisdom is better, right, wisdom's better than power, then why is wisdom susceptible to being ruined by folly? These kind of things seem at odds with each other. How does that work out? How does that make sense? Put your finger on verse 2 in chapter 10. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. So wisdom is vulnerable to folly because wisdom and folly are opposites. They're enemies. They're opposed to one another. They go off in different ways. And when we see verse 2, when you look at it in the Bible in front of you or you hear it read aloud, I want you to be really honest right now. And this is going to get uncomfortable, but that's okay. And know that I love you. When you hear a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the to the left, what's your first reaction to that? Honestly, what's your first reaction? Mine was this last week, I thought of politics right away. I thought of politics, right? When you're hearing this, when you're seeing chapter 10, verse 2, are you seeing it kind of as a relation? Oh, yeah, this is about politics in 2021 in America. I did this week. My heart went there way too fast. Are our senses so tuned to politics that we're reading that into the text? That this verse 2 in chapter 10 is about American politics to the right or to the left. Remember, I'm asking us as a church family right now to be honest. I bet if you're being honest, I don't need to see a raise of hands or at home, but I bet a fair number of you may raise your hand 
or maybe it was just me, okay? Because verse 2, again, it isn't about American politics. It's not about political parties. Throughout Scripture, to the right would mean moral goodness and favor. The place of honor was on the right. To the left would often mean perverse, perversity or judgment, right? So, for example, like in Matthew 25, where Jesus says that he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. So I'm drawing kind of a big highlighter around us, this in verse 2 right now. Again, even if it's uncomfortable, no, I'm saying this in love. I'm rebuking myself right now in preaching this text to you, okay? I'm drawing a highlighter around this because as an elder, as an overseer, as a pastor of Gresham Bible Church, I care about us as sheep, right? An elder is to lead, feed, and protect the sheep. We do that through God's word. So we need to be lovingly corrected and fed by God's word here in front of us today because, again, my mind ran too quickly to politics. Chapter 10, verse 2. It's like the intensity of politics all around us in our time and place. Again, it's just like made us see it everywhere, right? It's like those famous ink blot tests. Maybe you see them online or you've taken them before. It's just this what appears to be a random like just blot of ink and then you're told, hey, what do you see in this? What shapes do you see in it? What patterns? What animals do you see in this? And too often in our lives today, we see elephants and donkeys in everything, right? And what we should be seeing is a lion and a lamb, okay? So that's what this can apply to us today here from Ecclesiastes. So again, please hear me after service. Please don't come throw a chair at me. I'm saying this in love, okay? I'm saying it in love because I feel this pull in my own heart too. So in our time in history as Christians, just like Christians throughout history need, we need to come and sit under God's word, right? We're not over God's word. We're not helping God's word along. We're sitting under God's word, and we need God's word and his spirit to renew us and reorient us to what is really good and true, to take us out of the noise of our moment that too often shapes us more than God's word does, right? And again, the theme today is honesty. We need an eternal perspective that gives us a greater allegiance to the cross than to a crown or a party or a flag. The church always needs grace and truth to reorder what we love. So let me encourage you, okay, if this is feeling uncomfortable, good. If you're feeling convicted, me too, confess and repent right? And bring that to the Lord and don't harden your heart in this. Join me in confessing and repenting and ask God to renew your first love for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, okay? And we might all know this, like, yeah, amen, Mike, how's your heart doing with this, okay? That's what God's Word does for us. It renews us. All right, so we've kind of walked through the first section, Wisdom Under the Sun, and the teacher closes it out in verses 3 and 4. In these verses, the teacher of Ecclesiastes, he continues to contrast wisdom and folly. He is saying, a fool can't hide their foolishness. Yet the wise should remain calm when the anger of a ruler rises against you. So in our first section, we've seen briefly the teacher tell us an example of what wisdom under the sun can look like. Remember that poor old, old wise man? And then he gives us some examples in these Proverbs that wisdom is better than power. 
And that brings us to the second movement of our text. That's in chapter 10, verses 5 through 20. And here we're going to see evil under the sun. And we're going to see evil under the sun because a little folly can overturn order and bring pain in life. And so because of that, we're to use wisdom in navigating our life, the teacher is going to tell us here. So first, we're going to see the importance of wisdom first in our walk. That's in verses 5 through 11. And then we're going to see it in our talk. And that's verses 12 through 20. So first, wisdom in our daily walk. Look with me, verses 5 through 7, where we see this reversal of the way things ought to be. Verse 5. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an heir proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. So here the teacher shows us, he tells us about a time where people are not in the positions that they're supposed to be in. Folly is ruling the day instead of wisdom is what he's saying. The very people back in verse 3, he said that lack sense. Well, guess what? They're in power now. The teacher of Ecclesiastes, he's looking out and he's telling us about an upside down world. And how did this happen? Look at verse 5, where he says, it's an heir proceeding from the ruler. So this happens from the ruler being an heir and that heir proceeds out from the one in power. So not all of those in authority are wise. And folly often does, and it can, rule the day under the sun, is what we're seeing here in Ecclesiastes. After sharing what he's seen, again, he starts to work through some proverbs to show how wisdom and folly play themselves out in everyday life. So we're going to see in verses 8 through 11, four really practical illustrations of what can happen when we don't use wisdom. Okay, So look at verses 8 through 11 we see that even a little folly can result in destruction to yourself and others in your work, in your day-to-day life, right? We see that it's wise to sharpen an axe before cutting wood. And I could drop some names right now over the years of Gresham Bible Church of some people having accidents with cutting wood and chainsaws, but I'm choosing not to do that. So in our text, it's showing us that without wisdom, if you don't have wisdom, you're probably going to get hurt by the very thing you're trying to accomplish, right? You dig a pit, you're going to fall into it. You're trying to cut wood, you get hurt by the implement that you're cutting wood with. And verses 8 through 11, it's not just kind of the lack of wisdom or, hey, that was dumb, okay? It's not just saying that, right? It's, it's, there's a poetic justice going on here, right? You dig a pit, and in the poetic justice of the way things wisdom and folly works, you fall into that very same pit. In other words, wisdom helps one live and navigate a good life. He's saying, hey, if you don't have wisdom, these are the type of things that can happen to you. And there's a sense of morality in this, of good and evil, of you might get bitten by a snake, okay? So wisdom is critical. We hear that, right? How's that sit on us? Ecclesiastes is talking to us about wisdom and folly under the sun. How's that sit on us today as Gresham Bible Church? And a verse that comes to mind is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, where it says this about how critical wisdom is for us now, looking back on the cross as Christians. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, 
making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So in verses 5 through 11, we see that this evil under the sun is fools being in power, and then the importance of wisdom in our daily walk, in our day-to-day life, okay? And then secondly, look as we move to the close of chapter 10, verses 12 through 20, we see that wisdom is better also for our daily talk. So beginning in verse 12, we see the contrast of basically wise talk and foolish talk. The last section drives home the value of wisdom and the burden of folly. The value of wisdom and the burden of folly. So look, just explore with me verse 12 through 20. Look at how the talk of fools is described. The lips of a fool consume him. The end of foolish talk is said to be evil madness. A fool multiplies words, even though he doesn't know the future and often doesn't know what he's talking about. The toil of a fool wearies him. So like the teacher has been proclaiming and teaching us throughout Ecclesiastes, Look at verse 14. He reminds us again in light of all of these things, who can tell what will be after him? True for the wise and true for the fool. Who can tell what will be after him? However, in their madness, their evil madness, the fool talks about the future as if they know what's going to happen, right? Jordan talked about your March Madness bracket. That's an example right there. The book of James says it like this. James chapter 4, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. You are a mist. Doesn't James sound a lot like the teacher of Ecclesiastes? And so think about this briefly, right? God's word is written for our instruction. And so how does this principle apply to us today? And one way that I think it applies in really thinking about what the teacher's telling us for under our son today is this applies in nowadays, you probably hear it said a lot like, you're on the wrong side of history, right? You hear that a lot, probably over the last decade or so. You're on the wrong side of history. And that's often used to say that if you don't support this political agenda or this position, you're on the wrong side of history. Kind of thereby implying whoever is saying that knows the future and even knows the morality of the future. Well, what does the teacher of Ecclesiastes say right here? Does anyone know the future? No. So if someone says you're on the wrong side of history... Uh, They're not sovereign, and whether they're a wise or a fool, they don't know the future. So history itself would show that's really not a wise way to view the world of being on the wrong side of history. So in verse 15, okay, we kind of see this wisdom and folly. Well, what's this mean like for the internal life? Look at verse 15. We see the toil of the fool wearies him. Foolishness does something. It tires someone out. It wearies him. What the teacher means here is that the fool doesn't even know the way to town, the way to town, 
one commentator, how they described this in studying this week. They said it's like the fool would get lost on an escalator. Isn't that kind of funny? Like the escalator and the fool gets lost on an escalator. So their toil wears them down because they keep talking about things they really don't know anything about, wandering around, being worn out, not knowing the way to the city, is what the teacher here in Ecclesiastes is telling us. So the book of Ecclesiastes, this is kind of capturing like a key theme or thread throughout the book. It keeps emphasizing the weariness of pointless labor under the sun, right? He keeps talking about that it's vain, it's vanity, it's breath, it's like chasing wind. It's exhausting to not use wisdom in our lives under the sun. In the last verses of chapter 10, verses 16 and 20, the teacher kind of goes back to those big scope ideas here in terms of wisdom and folly, and he casts his gaze on wisdom in the arena of kings and rulers. So look at verses 16 through 20. We see two contrasting political orders. The first order is the reversal of the way things ought to be. Instead, we see a place where fools rule. And then the second order is when a good and wise king reigns. So look at verse 16 where he talks about where things are upside down. This king is a child. He's not ready to rule and the princes feast in the morning rather than caring for their people. This is the reality the teacher of Ecclesiastes is talking to us about. Really these princes, these rulers over the land, they only care about themselves, not the good of the people. And then we see the outcome of this type of leadership in verse 18, where the teacher of Ecclesiastes uses a proverb that's true for individuals, but then he applies it more broadly for the sake of leadership over a city or a land. Verse 18, through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. So the teacher is saying that people are hurt through poor leadership whether it be your individual house where the roof sinks in or the roofs of all the houses in a city or a land, poor leadership hurts people. He's saying that lazy leadership ruins a city and a land just like it can ruin a house because it doesn't maintain the house, right? So lazy leadership is not a good thing. It can ruin a city we're seeing here and it can also ruin a family that lives under an individual house. So jump ahead to verse 19. So just kind of we're catching the theme, right, or the background music to this scene that the teacher's telling us. Verse 19, it's like these princes that are partying in the morning. It's like they're singing this as their people suffer in these broken down houses. The princes are saying, bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything. It's like they're singing this song and partying it up in the midst of the suffering of their people. This is what it looks like when there's foolishness that reigns in this upside-down world the teacher's telling us about here. But then look at verse 17. The land is happy when the king is good and wise, when the princes, it said, feast at the proper time, right? So wine can gladden your heart. You should just drink it at the right time. Wisdom really does cause a city and a land to flourish, Wise and good and faithful leadership, Ecclesiastes is telling us, is a blessing, right? Authority and leadership is a good thing when it's done with wisdom and faithfulness and humility. It's a blessing to a family, 
It's a blessing to a church. It's a blessing to a city. And it's a blessing to a whole land. So our passage concludes in verse 20 where the teacher is then going to warn us about, okay, how do we live in this kind of upside down place? He warns us not to curse the king or the rich or those in power. And this is really because the teacher's telling us that careless talk isn't wise, okay? Not only will it maybe get you in trouble, it's just not wise. Careless talk gets you into trouble and it doesn't reflect a heart of wisdom, like what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, right? He talks about wise talk comes from a wise heart. Foolish talk comes from a foolish heart. Jesus said this, For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Or listen again to James, that consistently sounds very much like Ecclesiastes. How is wise talk described in the book of James? James chapter 3 says this about how our talk should be. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So the teacher here in Ecclesiastes, he's saying a life of wisdom has wise actions and wise words. Wise walk and wise talk, right? And this is true when there's good leaders, and this is true when there's bad leaders. You're supposed to have wise walk, and wise talk is what Ecclesiastes is talking to us about today. So throughout our text, we've seen that wisdom is better. Wisdom's better than power, even if it's not remembered. But we've also seen that just a little bit of folly can ruin wisdom. Like those little flies and those little snakes, it can ruin wisdom. So this brings us to our third and final point, the fullness of wisdom. So as I've been preparing to preach this, this is uh, kind of a difficult text, right? It has all like these kind of proverbs that are individual and you sit in it. Um, that's how I've been working through it. So I wonder as you've heard Ecclesiastes 9, 13 through 10, 20 today, I wonder what you're thinking and feeling. What is God's word doing inside of you? Again, really, if you're being honest, you might be asking, how is any of this good news? Yeah, Mike, I know. Wisdom's good. Folly's bad. And a lot of time, leaders are fools. Thanks a lot for reminding me. I'm glad I came to church today, right? Okay. So Ecclesiastes, one reason I love it is it doesn't pull any punches. It doesn't pull any punches. It is blunt. It confronts you with reality and kind of wakes us up a little bit, right? It tells us that wisdom is good, but wisdom is lacking. And it tells us that our striving, even after wisdom, under the sun is like chasing after wind. And again, we've seen from our text today the value of wisdom and the burden of folly, and all of it's like chasing after wind. So I wonder if you've heard this text, who are you identifying yourself with today? Are you thinking, oh yeah, I'm the wise poor man back in chapter 9. I'm the hero. Or are you thinking that you're in chapter 10 
and you're seeing yourself more in the fool. In either one, in this world, Ecclesiastes keeps beating this drum. Under this sun, life is a breath. Even if you're like the hero, the poor wise man, our text says, no one is going to remember you. No one is going to remember you. No matter how wise of a life you live, you'll die under the sun and you'll be forgotten. Let's just sit here for a minute. That's what Ecclesiastes is telling us. So again, whether you see yourself as the hero or more like the fool, we're all weary, right, from living under this sun and striving after wind. So what do you do with this? It can be exhausting trying to be wise. At all times and all places, it can be really exhausting to try and be wise, probably especially so over this last year. You're swimming against the current of the world most of the time when you're trying to be wise at any time. Christians throughout history, it's tiring to want to be wise. Maybe you even keep sharpening the edge of your axe, right? Like back in verse 10, your wisdom axe, you're sharpening it all the time. You're still getting worn down. You're still tired. You're weary from the toil of it all. At the same time, maybe for you, if you're being honest, your experience in life is more the burden of the fool. Maybe that burden is really heavy and it's wearing you down. You're weary from it. Maybe even today in hearing God's word preached, that sits heavy on you. You're weary from the toil of it all. And Ecclesiastes, God's word is good for us, right? It should do something to us when we hear Ecclesiastes, right? It should bring up these, these deep reactions in us that wake us up from the slumber we all have in this day-to-day life. It should whet our appetites and make us yearn for something more than just under the sun. Our text today highlights our need, doesn't it, for a good and wise king who carries our burdens and rescues us from our toil and our weariness, right? So that's kind of where Ecclesiastes brings us to. So Ecclesiastes, when you think about it, it's like this huge giant street sign, like maybe the signs in Vegas that flash all the time, and it's pointing us to Jesus, okay? It's just pointing us there. It's pointing us to the only solution for our wisdom problem. It's pointing us to the fullness of wisdom of Jesus, So I want to show you quickly three ways it's doing that, even from our text today. And I hope you're going to leave here um, not just feeling like, great, that was an encouraging sermon to hear, but really hear that Ecclesiastes points us to hope and to Jesus. So in Ecclesiastes 10.16, the teacher says, it's a woe to the land when your king is a child. So woe to the land when the king is a child. What does Jesus do with that? He turns the irony of that on its head, right? Jesus is the king who became a child to live a wise and perfect life under the sun, the life each of us should have lived, right? And then he died the death each of us should have died for the sin of our foolishness. Isaiah chapter 9, 6 and 7 is about Jesus, and it says this about Jesus as the child king. Listen to this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And then listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 30 and 31, that says Jesus is the wisdom from God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. So Ecclesiastes, our text today, is saying wisdom is better and it's, it's pointing us to that Jesus is the ultimate wisdom from God. And then lastly, look down at the Bible in front of you. Put your finger on chapter 10, verse 4. And look at what it says about what wisdom is and how it acts. Chapter 10, verse 4. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place. For calmness will lay great offenses to rest. What's that bring to mind? Jesus brought this to perfection on the cross, didn't he? When Jesus, the king of the universe, willingly, willingly and joyfully stayed on the cross to take the penalty of sin each of us deserve, the sin of being wise in our own eyes, of thinking we know the future, the sin of our foolishness and the burden of our folly, of not trusting God with our walk and with our talk. So as we close, I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, that describe how Jesus experienced the anger of the ruler, of how he didn't leave his place on the cross, and of how his sacrifice laid great offenses to rest. Listen to this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that he might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So as we've heard from Ecclesiastes today, let me encourage you to apply this wisdom to your heart again. To take this with you this week in your daily walk and in your daily talk. That King Jesus really is a good and wise king. That he's the full wisdom that each of us need. That you can come to him today in repentance and by faith, lay down your weariness. Whether that's the weariness of trying to be wise or the weariness and burden of your folly, give him that and trust in a good and wise king today. So Ecclesiastes is pointing us to that Jesus is wisdom from God and Jesus is better. So let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word today. We trust in the truth, Lord, that your word always accomplishes the purpose for which you send it. I pray, Lord, that our response to hearing your word today will be one that is filled with trust and with wisdom, with confession and repentance. I pray that we will make much of you this week, Jesus. We ask all this in your name. Amen.